while your day is winding down. They're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day. From local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard. To listen. And where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Good evening. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus Farrow. Thanks for joining me. I'm here till 10 o'clock, as always. And I'm here with you at 908-506-0500. That's how you can join us. But first, we are joined by Bristol County Sheriff Paul Harrow. Hey, Sheriff. How are you? Hey, Marcus. How's it going? Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me this evening. So thanks for having me back on. So, um, so Sheriff, I uh, I understand that. So one of the cornerstones of your of your platform in your in your early um, in your early days as sheriff is establishing a I mean a reorganization of the of the hierarchy at the Bristol County Sheriff's Office. But that starts with the establishment of a um, director of inmate services. I understand you've recently posted the job. That's right. Yep, we posted that yesterday, and this uh, it is. Not in existence at the BCSO right now, but it does exist in other jails and prisons. Uh, when I was working in Philadelphia and in Mass DOC, th- this position existed there, but we don't have it here. So all of the responsibilities under this position currently fall under the superintendent who's responsible for security. So what I want to do is basically take leave security to the superintendent, but then inmate services like medical food, commissary, reentry programs, education, all of that stuff put under this an, another person. That way the superintendent's not spread so thin and some and I can dedicate one person to really focusing on those inmate services to really help facilitate reentry better. So what are the um what are the qualifications uh, uh that uh, are uh, requisite for this job? Well, you have to have a bachelor's degree with uh, considerable management experience, um, you know, and you might, you know, actually I'm looking for somebody ideally who has beyond a bachelor's, a master's, um, a law degree, possibly a, a medical degree. It's somebody who um, has previously been a senior hospital administrator, somebody who ran a nursing home, um, maybe a CVNA. Because when you have those three organizations, those types of organizations I just mentioned, you've got somebody who has dealt with medical, mental health, addiction issues, food issues, labor and staffing issues, you know, so, and that's the kind of person I need. I don't necessarily need a corrections expert. That's, that's actually not what I'm going for. I am going for um, somebody who is a senior management official who um, really knows how to, uh, um, you know, like, like manage an organization. Uh, this is a public um, position, so uh, you know the, the the salary of this individual would be uh, public information. Um, what is the pay scale uh, for a director of inmate services? We don't have anything set for it. It's basically commensurate with experience, and so uh, we'll have to wait to see who comes in and you know, like what they like what experience they bring. What were they recently being paid? Um, I mean, most hospital CEOs are paid a million dollars a year. Or somewhere around there, maybe a million and a half, maybe seven hundred thousand. 
that's not what we're talking about here. Not even close. And so this, um, you know, like it would be far lower, you know, and it, but would it be one of my senior management positions uh, that reports directly to me? So certainly less than 200000 a year, certainly much less than that. We're speaking with Bristol County Sheriff Paul Haro. Um, so I know I talked to you before. You, you hadn't had anybody identified for the position. Um, when did you post it? Uh, and I think it was it on Tuesday. Uh, and um, uh, have there been any applicants that have come forward uh, thus far? Yeah, so we posted it really it was like the end of the day on Tuesday. So yesterday was the first full day. But uh, I've gotten one resume so far, which is pretty good considering we got it in less than 24 hours. But the um, you know we we received that resume yesterday. Uh, I you know we're gonna keep this open on a rolling basis because as the resumes come in, we're gonna look at them. I'm gonna you know interview and I'm going to keep the position open until I get the right person for this job. You know it's not just to post it and you know I gotta fill it right away. It's I want to make sure I, I get the right person. And you're right, I don't have anybody in mind for this position. It, this is an open search and anybody could apply. If I, if I had somebody in mind, I would have hired that person already, but I really don't. So we're speaking with Bristol County Sheriff Paul Haro. So uh, when you hire this, are, are you, I, I remember you'd, you'd post, uh, you had shown us at, at your uh, 100 Days Media Day, the hierarchy uh, for mm-hmm. inmate services. Um, and it is direct report to you, but there's, there's um, direct reports to that. Um, to that position of inmate, uh, uh, inmate services director, uh, is is the goal to hire that position first and then fill out the positions under them? Yeah, that's right. Because I want to have somebody in here um, at the top, you know, from the start of the reorg of all of the inmate services, because we're offering a lot of different programs and services, but there's no real strategic plan. There's no coherent um, organization you know, from start to finish, from the time somebody's admitted to the time they're discharged. And it's kind of like you just, you know, it's it's like you're just kind of, the inmates are kind of going through the jail system, taking electives, you know, and there's, the, but they're not really being like overseen in a way that really sets them up for success. And that's no fault of the people who work there. We have people who work there who really want to do a good job, and but they're spread too thin. When you have one person working on medical issues like um, like medical and addiction issues for inmates and that same person is also trying to get them housing or a job after release i mean housing and a job for an ex-offender is really difficult somebody yeah. with a quarry record so the person who is a specialist in medical and addiction issues i don't expect them to also be an expert in uh, housing or, or employment issues so what we're going to do is we're going to take, okay, hire an employment coordinator for all the inmates, and they're going to have several staff under that person, and they will focus on the employment needs. And they're going to become specialists on that, and they're going to develop uh, like connections throughout the county. And same thing with housing. So you don't have one person saying, okay, i got to find you a job. Now i got to find you housing. You know, and and now, by the way, I'm also trying to treat your medical or mental health needs while you're here. That's just... They're, they can't be effective when they're spread so thin and they don't have that expertise in these really complicated issues. So that's it. That's a seismic shift. There's going to be co- we're completely flipping the inmate services upside down with the way it's being uh, way it's currently being done, the way I inherited it. 
So we're speaking with uh, Bristol County Sheriff Paul Harrell. Um, some of these positions, like, uh, are some of these positions under the Director of Inmate Services? Are these going to be sort of reorganized internally, or are these all entirely new hires? Are you just essentially creating a brand new department with uh, brand new people, or adding however many or so staff is needed? Both. So I'm taking some of the senior staff. Uh, sorry, I'm taking some of the staff who are currently there who have been doing this job and they will assume some of the deputy director or coordinator level positions. Um, so, you know, but then we're going to need staff to help execute the, um, the mission, you know, uh, to actually carry out the mission. I, you shouldn't use the word execute when I'm talking about corrections, but, um, you know, so I, but have those folks actually carry out the, the work that needs to be done. The actual casework of having inmates sit down with a caseworker, you know, someone who specializes in housing and then really tries to line them up with that. Um, so though, we are going to be creating a lot of new positions, but then again, we also, the people who are currently doing this stuff, we're going to let, I'm probably going to make them be this, the coordinators of the deputy director level folks, um, because then when we bring new people in, those folks who have been doing this work but been spread too thin, you know, so for example, like I, I can, I'm going to make up a name, Sally. So let's just say Sally is, you know, dealing with uh, inmate medical issues, you know, with like addiction issues. And Sally, you know, also has to deal with the housing and the uh, employment. So I'm going to say, okay, Sally, just focus on the medical issues, and the addiction issues, just deal with that. We have other people who are going to focus on employment and another set of people who are going to focus on housing. And so you guys don't, you don't have to worry about that. And the people that are, you know, just focused on housing, they don't have to worry about employment. People that are, that's, you know, we're kind of operating in a silo um, so that it's kind of like, when you go to the doctor, you know, you sit down with a, a, a primary care physician, but then you got to get, get need to be sent to specialists, you know, your eye doctor or, you know, a sleep doctor or, you know, a gastroenterologist or something. So, you know, there's, it's kind of the same model where you really, you know, some of these complex issues, you need to see a specialist for housing or a specialist for employment, specialist for post-release medical support, you know, those are challenging. We're speaking with Bristol County Sheriff Paul Harrow. Uh, so one of the things I remember you talking about is that um, some of the duties, uh, a lot of the duties for that this director of inmate services would do would be were sort of thrusted upon your superintendent. Uh, and your, I think, understanding is, is this is going to streamline some of those um, uh, responsibilities and make them uh, work a lot more efficiently? Yeah, the superintendent will be able to focus on just security issues, and he's going to work with these um, director of inmate services as well, because there's a lot that has to be said about staffing with security and doing programs at the same time. So they are going to work hand in hand, but at least he's not going to be responsible for the oversight of that anymore, and that'll allow him to really focus a lot more closely on just security issues and, and tightening that up wherever we can. There's a couple of different areas I can think of. Um, but then the director of inmate services is going to focus on just like the inmate, and forgive me for sounding like a, like a progressive or something, but the inmate experience, you know, and so, um, but it's, it's kind of that from start, from admission to discharge and taking through, uh, taking the inmate through the, the jail system to make sure we really set them up for success rather than just having them kind of like float around and maybe they participate in a program and, you know, it's going to be a, a lot more of a real strong emphasis on proper programming and proper discharge planning. We're speaking with Bristol County Sheriff uh, Paul. Uh, we're speaking with Bristol County Sheriff Paul Harrow. Do you have a timeline in which 
you know, are that you're hoping this position will be filled and that entire hierarchy will be filled out? I, in an ideal world, I'd have somebody in here for February, I'm sorry, um, for July 1st. And then what I would do is create that department with the, um, not the, not the, it's not a department, yeah, it's a department, you know, create that department with the, um, with this new person and say, like, lay out the vision for it. And um, th- that's in an ideal world. I may not wait for that, though. If I, if I don't get the right person, I might start rolling out this uh, organization uh, before, you know, the, the reorg and start having people do things before this person gets there. Uh, but it, it all depends. In an ideal world, the person would be there first. That way they can coordinate the changes. Um, but time will tell. I, I don't know who I'm going to get for applications. So I know we talked a little bit about, I, I'd asked you a little bit about um, the, the salary uh, the, the salary expectations of a position like that. But uh, I remember you talked, someone had asked you in that media day, the 100 days media day, um, how this was going to be, uh, how these new positions would be filled and accounted for budgetarily. And what you're essentially saying is, you essentially said was, um, all you really need to do is send the state the bill and and they'll cover it. Well, yeah, basically that's how it works. I mean, it's for when it comes to staffing issues, the state is very generous with the jails. And the state, um, you know, if we need to hire correctional officers, they don't, not fund that if we need to hire treatment people the state funds it and so i mean i couldn't go out and buy a whole new fleet of um humvees for the for the jail and say this is my new uh, fleet of vehicles they're going to probably put the kibosh on that but when it comes to hiring for staff and um the state is very good about that because we're hiring people that we need um and it's tough to get people in to work in corrections so i think when you know like we, we hire somebody and then the state funds it. The state isn't in, in the business of layoffs. So, the sta- you know, when we hire these individuals to do these jobs, um, you know, I report back to the state and say, well, these are what they're doing. The state's not going to turn around and say, yeah, we don't think that's important. We're not going to fund it. Or, you know, they, they just the state just doesn't do that. You know, so um, maybe with uh, physical equipment, they might have a little bit more um, or, or, you know, infrastructure, they might have a little more restraint on that. But when it comes to staffing, this, the state is very good about that. And um, I, I think it's also a good situation. Like, you know, mo- most of the sheriffs are not abusing that. So it's not like the state needs to crack down on that sort of thing. We're speaking with Bristol County Sheriff Paul Haro. So you said that this exi- this position existed in the Philadelphia jail system that you worked in. Um, is does it exist in other uh, county correctional systems throughout the Commonwealth? Uh, yes, actually, um, Donna Buckley in Barnstable County just uh, recently posted, maybe a month ago or so, she posted the same position, and her job description is very similar to my job description. So it, she has. I don't know if that position already exists or if she's looking for a new person to fill an old position. Currently, it doesn't exist in Bristol County, but it does exist in other places. Um, it existed in uh, Philadelphia. It was Deputy Commissioner Hammond was the person who, who filled this role as a director of treatment. And we had somebody at the Mass Department of Correction when I was working there back in 2008, 2009. I forgot who it was at the time, but there was a, de- a Deputy Commissioner for Treatment. I'm calling it for inmate services, it's slightly different. Um, and my focus is also more of a, you know, I, I prefer somebody who has experience with these services first. That's the first most important thing. And secondly, if they do happen to bring corrections experience, that's a plus. 
but the, really I'm looking for somebody who really understands the human services, medical, food, delivery, mental health, addiction issues, programming, labor issues, because they've been a manager before. That's who I'm really looking for. Speaking with Bristol County Sheriff uh, Paul Haro, I, I, you know, I had, um, I had Sheriff Buckley on uh, when after she got elected. You both came in at the same time, represent a, a, a regime change after decades-long Republican rule over the your respective sheriff's offices. Um, how important is it that you consult with uh, fellow sheriffs like Donna Buckley and uh, you know uh, Tom, uh, Sheriff Tompkins, et cetera? We do. We we have a monthly meeting where all the sheriffs get together with the Mass Sheriffs Association, and as an executive director of that, and uh, you know Hamden County Sheriff uh, uh, Kochi is the president of that, and it's a really good organization. You know we don't agree on everything. We we there's some of us who have we disagree in our meetings, and uh, we work through it though. And every you know it's very respectful group. Um, I think every sheriff there's something I can learn from everyone. Uh, you know, it's just the, the, we all have different experiences in different jails. And at some point I'd like to tour all of the jails so I can go and absorb what's useful and, uh, you know, bring those, some ideas, uh, fresh ideas back to Bristol County. So, but yeah, we do have that association. We, we, we meet on a monthly basis. So we're speaking with Bristol County Sheriff Paul Haro. Um, so I got, uh, a, um, email recently from Senator Mark Montigny's office, uh, said that the, um, uh, they, uh, the Senate Ways and Means had proposed the fiscal year uh, 2024 budget. Um, they provide uh, $59 million for the operation of the sheriff's office. Mm-hmm. And within that is a, a, a reportedly a line item uh, for the closure of the Ash Street Jail. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Actually, that's news to me. I hadn't heard that. Oh. We, um, <laughs> we had asked about that. The, what we need to do is what's called a feasibility study. And that's kind of like a space needs assessment. And so um, we asked for that. And that's great that they were able to slip that in there. I'm really happy about that. Uh, the plan I have for closing Ash Street is uh, kind of part of what we were talking about in, the, in recent history in the last couple of weeks, which is putting toilets and cells and locks on doors. And that way we can bring those inmates back to um, Dartmouth. But the... Uh, you know, and part of the process of that is getting DCAM funding to look at what's involved with that. It's kind of a, like I said, the needs assessment. It's kind of you, you get like a clerk of the works in to come in and look to say, okay, what's involved with doing a big capital project? So that's what that is. It's not actually the funding. I don't think that's going to be the funding. I think it would be putting the cart before the horse. But that's the, that's the, the first step in this. Uh, several-year projects to close Ash Street. We're speaking with uh, Bristol County Sheriff Paul Haro. So um, I talked to you a little bit before this, but last week we got into the, um, you uh, had a, a media availability to get inside of the cells that were part of that, uh, what you've categorized as a standoff uh, between the, the sheriff's office and the inmates a few weeks ago now. Uh, that was the subject of a lot of uh, statewide attention for sure, a lot of, t- of attention here. Um, the cell uh, itself that uh, was the one that was really trashed, um, I was in it. It was certainly very trashed. Um, uh, but uh, I understand that there's been some cleanup efforts. Yeah, it's all cleaned up now. I mean, it didn't take, it took about 16 hours, it took staff about 16 hours to clean that up. What you saw. If we had cleaned it up before you got there, you would say, this isn't that bad. It was mostly a mess. 
there was one to two hundred thousand dollars worth of damage, but you can run up a bill on two hundred thousand dollars worth of damage with correctional uh, equipment really quickly uh, because the the glass we have is a really hard shatterproof glass or shatter resistant, I should say, and a lot, some of that was destroyed. The um, the the casing, the frames around that to replace is very expensive. It's very labor intensive to take it apart, put something new in. So it it doesn't take much to add up to $200,000. A bunch of uh, very high quality 4K cameras, you know, we need that high resolution to identify inmate faces um, when something like this happens. So even those cameras are expensive as well. Uh, So, but if we had cleaned it up before you got there, you would have walked around and said, oh, what are we looking at? Like, there's, I mean, I see some broken windows over there and you got a broken frame right there on the door. And yeah, I see that control panel is damaged and, you know, there's a bunch of other stuff, but it's, um, you know, now that it's been cleaned up and uh, and Marcus, if you wanted to swing by, I'd be happy to show it to you as, you know, in its cleaned up state, if you were interested, we released some photos, but it's, it looks not too different than other housing units with the exception of, you know, some things on the perimeter that are, are damaged. We're speaking with uh, Bristol County Sheriff Paul Haro. So you had asked also for some additional funding from the uh, from the Commonwealth uh, in service of 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 working on that. One of the things is is getting the locks on the door, uh, getting locks on on doors. I understand that you have enough money to do that uh, for uh, to do it that on enough cells that would allow you to close Ash Street Jail, um, but you'd need additional funding to put locks on all the cells. That's correct. We have. Probably $1.6 million in canteen money. That's the profits from inmates, and it hasn't been spent, but it can be spent on stuff that would benefit inmates, and something like a toilet is of a benefit to only the inmate. So we believe we can use that money on that for that purpose. But that's only going to accommodate two, maybe three, of the 11 housing units. And that only does the toilets. It doesn't do the locks. So... Each housing unit to put toilets in the cells is about a half a million dollars. Yeah. So we need, if there's 11 housing units, a half a million dollars each. On average, that's 5.5 million. But then we also need to put the locks on the doors. And so that's going to be a lot more money as well. That's also going to be several million dollars because, again, this is uh, 11 different housing units. It's half of our jail system. Half of our jail doesn't have locks on doors. Um, so it, it's it's a multi-million dollar project. But... When I originally started in January, you might remember I said, hey, give me $10 million and I'll turn the ICE detention center into, um, you know, Ash Street. I'll retrofit it. But then we still didn't have the locks on the doors or the clothes themselves. So now over the course of time, I've said, okay, let's change what the plan is. And if we put locks on doors and toilets themselves, then we can just bring the inmates back from Ash Street and close it at the same time. So we don't actually have to spend money on new cell construction. We can avoid that. So I've, I've come, as you, I've, as you have covered, I've come up with three ideas in the first three months on how to close Ash Street, and each one was better than the last. Um, but I think we've, we've finally arrived at a point where we know which exactly of the different ideas we're going to pursue, and that's exactly what we're doing. We're speaking with Bristol County Sheriff Paul Haro. So I saw on your social media page that... Um, it's National Corrections Officers uh, Week, and I know that the social media has been posting some memes in recognition of that. Uh, just wanted to, you know, give you a moment if if you'd like to just talk about the important work that the the correctional officers do, especially in light of what had happened a few weeks ago. 
Yeah, you know, corrections officers are kind of the unsung heroes in law enforcement and in public safety. They, you know, a lot of people call them guards. They're not guards. Uh, you know, they manage people. That's why we call them corrections officers. You know, they, they go through it, uh, which is now going to be a nine-week training course uh, at the academy, and they do really good work. They've got a really tough job. It's a stressful job. There's not enough corrections officers. They go into work every day. They sometimes, a lot of times, they're getting uh, forced to do a double shift because we just don't have enough COs. And other times, they might be assaulted. You never know if they're going to get. You don't know if that day you're going to get assaulted by somebody. Sometimes somebody might just spit on you. They might throw a cup of nasty bodily fluids at you. So these things, it it, it doesn't happen a lot, but it happens too much. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, and in fact, if if an inmate throws bodily fluids at a uh, corrections officer. That's a felony. It can also be a person can be charged with a, a ten years, you know, get sentenced for ten years in the actually prison system for that. That's a big. It's a really big deal. The state, fortunately, doesn't tolerate that. The legislature, but um, it is, it is corrections officer week, and we're going to actually employee week, which is in June. We're going to do something more formal when the weather's a little bit nicer, a little bit warmer outside. Um, but you know, the COs, the men and women that do the job, I mean, they're professionals. They they. They they do a really good job. Uh, something that's a really tough work environment, and uh, you know, so some of the things I'm trying to do are improve morale, and you know, let them know that they are appreciated. So just today, then you hear here first on WBSM once again. Um, but you know, we reinstituted a, a tradition of a promotional ceremony. So today, I promoted uh, three lieutenants and one sergeant. So they're all of them were correctional officers. One of them came up to a sergeant, the other three went up to a lieutenant, and it was something that in the past, in recent history, we would just say, okay, you know, you're promoted, you know, the, you know, an email would be sent out and there would really be no fanfare about it. But I want the uh, corrections officers who are getting a promotion to be able to bring their family in, their friends, have other staff show up and, and recognize that they have progressed in their in their career, that they're taking on more responsibility, that they've done a good job. So that's something we just uh, re-implemented today. And, um, you know, I, I might even retroactively go backwards in time for everybody that I've promoted during the last four months and have a, a big mass promotion ceremony so I can recognize everybody. But but th this, is, this was done in years ago in the past, but it, for whatever reason, it, it just didn't happen anymore. For, for many years, and so I just reinstituted today. So, Sheriff, um, I, I appreciate you joining me. Before I let you go, I did want to mention because uh, I know you're still, you're, you, you know, you you've uh, instituted a pretty aggressive uh, hiring campaign uh, to um, to get your staff up to 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 better uh, to more more adequate levels, uh, especially with you know your broader vision for what you want to do with the corrections, um, uh, the, the Bristol County Sheriff's office. And you, you know, you had a job fair. Um, I know you're offering bonuses, uh, a $5,000 bonus, uh, for, for new officers. Um, I just wanted to, you know, ask you, uh, has your, have your efforts, um, uh, been, uh, successful so far? Yeah, we, the last Academy that, that my predecessor, Started, had I think about six people and I think it graduated five and we have an academy in right now a class with 22 people 
And so it started with, um, you know, a handful more than that, but we've had some attrition. That's very normal. That happens, you know, it happens in any class under anybody, you know, anywhere in the state, anywhere in the country. So that's, um, but the numbers have drastically gone up though. And uh, one point or two points is certainly not a trend. So we'll have another academy in the fall and hopefully we'll have another big you know, double-digit ca- uh, number as well. And then we'll do it again in the spring of 2024. So two points don't make a trend, and one point certainly doesn't. So hopefully we'll continue to see having double-digit academies uh, because that will help replenish the numbers of correctional officers who have left because, again, we're paying a lot. And uh, it's not so much we're paying a lot, if I misspoke. It's, it's the, we, we are we're paying a lot of overtime. But that's a real wear. It's a lot of wear and tear on the the mental health and the stamina of some of the COs. Bristol County Sheriff Paul Haro, appreciate you joining me. I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Marcus. Take care. That was uh, Bristol County Sheriff Paul Haro. I'm going to take a break. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm Marcus Farrow. 508-996-0500 is how you can get on the program this evening. We can also take your messages on the WBSM app. That is Bristol County Sheriff Paul Haro, uh, keep, uh keeping us updated on what's going on uh, in the new era at the Bristol County Sheriff's Office. Obviously, with a regime change, there's going to be um, a lot of policy change that comes with it. And so I think it's really important, especially considering how much people were tuned into that election and a lot of the goings on uh, during Sheriff Rowe's early tenure as the, um, as the sheriff uh, to, to have him on regularly and keep us updated with that. Um, Cause I think uh, everybody's become very interested in, uh, in local, uh, in local correctional policy for sure. And so I do appreciate uh, Sheriff Rowe making himself available to us again. You know, I think we're, we're fortunate here to, to get um, Sheriff Hodgson himself was always available to the media, always available to us here at WBSM. And um, Sheriff Haro uh, is, I think, had, had equal availability um, here, uh, not really even for us, for you guys, uh, for the audience. So I, I do really appreciate that. Uh, it makes this job uh, a lot more fun and a lot easier when we can have, um, we can have our, our local policymakers come on regularly and discuss uh, the things that are happening. And you can hear it straight from the people that are making those decisions. So again, thanks. Thanks to Sheriff Faro for joining me. Um, we'll, we'll be talking with him soon. Uh, we'll be talking with you uh, soon, hopefully at 508-996-0500. And that's how you can join us this evening. We can also take your messages on the WBSM app chat. I understand that there is a city council meeting going on. I think the agenda is fairly light and so I don't think there's going to be a whole lot to discuss. Uh, I know that um, uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, city council at large, Ian Abreu, uh, is presiding over that meeting because um, Council President Morad is is out of town uh, for the day, uh, for the evening. And so typically how that works is whoever's the, the first vice president, who I believe is the uh, person who last served as the uh, city council president um, takes those duties over and runs the meeting. So I believe he's running the meeting this evening. But again, I've heard that the agenda is fairly light. Adam Bass is uh, still there. Um, of course, he's always uh, the Bass is always on the attack, giving us the updates on what's happening uh, in your local city council. And so there's, um, I think, going to be 
uh, you know, going forward, always going to be a lot to talk about. And we're happy that Abbas is there to cover it for us. But 508-996-0500 is how you can join me this evening. We can take your messages on the WBSM app chat as well. I got to take another break. Uh, this is South Coast Tonight, and I'm Marcus. 1420 WBSM is now also on 99.5 FM. My dad, he's a double amputee, and uh, he's one of my favorite people in the world. To me, a hero is someone who fights for our country and freedom. My dad is a hero. Homes for our troops built this house, and it's basically made for him. My dad can get through the wide doorways. When he is making our lunch, he can reach anything we need. He'll help me build tiny projects. Life is good here. Without Homes for Our Troops, we'd be living in a home that didn't have all these features that helped him. Homes for Our Troops builds and donates specially adapted custom homes nationwide for severely injured post-9-11 veterans and enables them to rebuild their lives. If they get a new house like this one, it'll help them, like, do normal life. My dad's not just a hero. He's my hero. Join our mission at hfotusa.org. This time next week, I'll be sick in bed with West Nile virus. Thanks to a mosquito bite right in front of my house. In eight minutes, my daughter will be in an ambulance, having an asthma attack triggered by cockroaches. I'm going to be bitten by a tick today. I won't even know it until Lyme disease turns my life upside down. Learn how to protect your family at pestworld.org. A public service message from the National Pest Management Association and the CDC. Veterans and their families are popular targets for financial fraud. Scammers may try to defraud you through misleading commercials, emails, texts, cold calls, or online ads. They may even pose as someone from VA or an organization providing discounts on fees for services. But VA will never charge you for processing a claim. Do not provide your personal information to anyone other than a VA-accredited representative. To find a representative near you, visit va.gov forward slash find dash rip. Real-time reaction to everything that happens after the sun goes down. Ain't going down till the sun comes up. South Coast Tonight with Marcus and Chris is on WBSM. Welcome back to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. 508-996-0500 is how you can join me this evening. Got a lot to talk about this evening. I'm here till 10. Open phone lines. Whatever you want to talk about, we can talk about it um, together. Just give me a buzz. Uh, I'd appreciate it. Shoot, shoot me an app chat message, uh, too, on the WBSM app, ch- uh, WBSM app chat. I think we actually might have uh, some uh, messages from people in the audience. Again, there's a New Bedford City Council meeting going on uh, right now. I don't think there's a whole lot on the agenda that's worth talking about. Certainly not the... Um, really big meeting that happened uh the really big meeting that had happened a uh a couple weeks ago with the um the the vetoing of those three ballot questions the rent stabilization ballot question the ballot question asking uh, voters if they want to gut the community preservation act funding or the ballot question for um, reducing the mayor's term from a four-year term to a two-year term. All those vetoes were sustained, uh, meaning they didn't have enough votes to override uh, at the um, <clears throat> at the last city council meeting. So going forward, uh, so it looks like going um, 
going forward, those will not appear on the ballot as the city council had phrased them. That was the last big, big uh, meeting on the agenda. Uh, budget season's coming up soon, I believe, in the council. So that will probably take up uh, a good deal of their time. Um, but, you know, as I've talked to, obviously, we talked to former... Um, I mean, we've talked to, uh, uh, you know, members of the city council and and and, uh, and and Mayor Mitchell and all of that. And I think it's a good time for them to move forward uh, with uh, some new policies, new uh, proposals to try to make life better for their constituents. So looking forward to, to seeing how that all shakes out now that those ballot questions and, and uh, are behind us, even if some of the issues, at least with respect to housing, I think the other two ballot questions were silly. But the other questions with respect to housing, with respect to rent stabilization, I think are still ongoing discussions um, for sure. So 508-996-0500 is how you can join me this evening. And we can take your messages on the WBSM app chat. So what I'll do now is um, I'll take one more break uh, and then we can finish out uh, the hour strong here on South Coast tonight. So stay tuned. Hey, welcome back to the program. I'm Marcus, 508-996-0500. Lots to talk about. I I think um, in the next hour, I think we could talk about a little bit about the Prop 2.5 override that's happening on... The vote is, I believe, June 5th. Uh, June 5th, which is a Monday. Uh, So if you are a registered voter in Fairhaven, you can vote on whether or not you want to raise the levy limit um, on... Uh, the your annual uh, municipal taxes. So there's uh, uh, it's been an ongoing discussion here. We've had members of the select board in. I imagine we'll have them in again as this conversation moves forward. But I think that um, it's worth talking about. There's a lot. Uh, there's a lot of considerations. I see a lot of signs that are up uh, that are opposed to it. Not a lot of signs that are for it, although I think the people that are for it aren't uh, maybe organizing that type of campaign. Um, so we'll um, we'll get into it because uh, it's, I think it's, um, I, I think it's, it's I, I don't think it's important. It's really important. I live in Fairhaven. You all live in Fairhaven and uh, it's going to affect um, all of us uh, directly, whether or not this override is uh, eventually approved by the voters, the proposition two and a half uh, override. So we'll talk more about that, I think, in the eight o'clock hour. And you can give us a call at 508-996-0500. That's how you can join me and take your messages on the WBSM app chat as well. So you want to stay tuned. You want to shoot me a call, shoot me an app chat message. And uh, again, open phone lines until 10 o'clock tonight. Uh, it's just you and me till 10 o'clock this evening. Uh, and we can get it uh, into it. Uh, we can get into, I mean, whatever you want to talk about. I want to start talking about the override. If you want to talk about that, cool. If you want to talk about something else, we can talk about something else. Uh, you know, I am, uh, it's, it's up to you guys, whatever you want to discuss. 508-996-0500. That's how you can join this evening. And we can take your messages on the WBSM app chat as well. So I'll see you on the other side after the news.